Right on, right on, right on. Live right. Live right. In the real world. Right on radio. Right on radio. Welcome to Right on Radio. My name is Jeff. The tagline of the show is live right in the real world. And what we mean by that is I'm going to show you the real world, both visible and invisible. And then you decide how to live right in it. And by the way, if you want to live right, you might want to have the right stuff in your home. You might want to get rid of all those toxins. You might want to have more healthy snacks, uh, you know, everything that's and all made in America uh, where you support the little guy and not the big guy. And when I say the little guy, it's actually a lot of your uh, fellow right on radio listeners like myself uh, that you're supporting. So you can go to mylibertystand.com. And by the way, where's the beef? <laughs> very, very soon mylibertystand.com. If that doesn't work for you, you can send me a personal email at writeonjeff at gmail.com. Well, today's show is going to be very important uh, to establish more of a foundation for uh, this mass deception. As, as I say, folks, you have to know where this comes from. And the person we're going to be discussing today is Helena Blavatsky. Uh, she is paramount in modern times in laying the foundation for what is now in the Christian church, what is now, uh, you know, become a movement. And you're going to see all the different parts uh, that are popping up when, you know, you hear other podcasters talking about Christ consciousness the Great Awakening, all of these things can be rooted right back to here. And then the, the next episode I'm going to go is going to bring it really forward to you. So you might think that this one is a little bit boring because I'm going to be reading some stuff and it just it doesn't seem sensational. It's not. But you have to understand this is the foundation and you have to understand where and whom it comes from. And just because uh, I think I'm going to be doing a little bit more reading uh, than I normally would like to do, I'm going to give you a bit of a spoiler alert. And I'm going to tell you the next steps in these, this uh, series and where all this information is leading. Well, uh, first of all, it's going to go from here into... Uh, <laughs> Well, into the church, it's going to go into another uh, mystical person. I'm going to be talking about uh, Alice Bailey. I've introduced her on the program before when I read her 10-point plan. Uh, she has a significant role in this. And then it goes in through Adolf Hitler and the Nazis, of course, and into Operation Paperclip, right into the CIA, and from the CIA into the Christian churches. Yeah. Yeah, Nazis, CIA, they're all in on this. It's just evil. It is just evil. And yeah, um, you're going to be able to discern. The reason I'm doing it this way, I'm, I'm doing it somewhat chronologically, and I'm giving you the important stuff, because for you to put all the pieces together and and to help you to discern as you move forward, you might see someone on YouTube, and then all of a sudden you hear certain words. Ah, I know where that person's coming from. And that person could have a heart for God. Maybe they're just under deception too. We are not here to judge anyone but we will judge their doctrine. And yeah, we're going to be playing some clips of people uh, coming up in probably in the next couple, you know, next few programs. Um, and listen, I'm not going to be accusing them or anything, but 
you're going to ask yourself, what did they mean by that? And when we go back to shows like this one that I'm doing today and, uh, and the Alice Bailey and the United Nations and all that, you're going to understand it's all a coerced plan of deception and it's really a magic trick because they're taking the truth and just slightly twisting it. And that's all it takes. All the devil needs to do is to get you to not focus on Jesus. And he is going to present himself as Jesus. And many people, it's, it's my fear, and I pray against this. Lord, send more workers into the field. But I pray against this working in the church. But as the deception ramps up, it's going to be even harder to discern. And there's already people who are falling for it in the church. People who really genuinely are seeking God and seeking the Lord are finding the false Jesus and they're worshiping him. That's a bold statement to make, but I'm going to prove to you that it's true. I'll prove it without a doubt. But to get there, we need to do this foundational stuff. So I apologize if this one isn't uh, super exciting for you, but I will implore you to watch it to the end because it really has some very important information. So Helena Blavatsky, uh, she is one of the founders of the Theosophical Society and their uh, kind of tagline is God wisdom or divine wisdom. And they believe that the wisdom has been all through the ages and passed through the secret societies and everything else. And, and you know what, actually, just before I, I present this, um, I want to tell you on a fundamental belief that the occultish people have uh, that are behind this. They honestly believe that Lucifer, and it's in their own words and their own doctrines, Lucifer's name is only mentioned once in the Bible, and of course that's uh, in Isaiah 14. And they say, even the Bible's depicting him as good. He is the light bringer. That is, you know, they hold on to that. So it's funny, they believe God's word when it's convenient for them. Uh, but when it's inconvenient for them, they kind of disregard it and they twist it. And I'll give you some examples of how they twist it. In fact, um, I, I'm just going to bring you, <laughs> I was going to do this at the end, but I'm going to start with this because the occult actually believes that Satan was trying to free us. They believe that God, Jehovah, the creator, has imprisoned us and it's the light bearer that's going to set us free. It's so twisted and it's so sick. So when they're revolting against God, they actually think that they are doing good. It's the, what, you know, everything is inverted. Everything is inverted. One of the things, uh, and this comes from a website called Universal uh, Theophysy, and they're talking about when, uh, in Matthew 24, when the disciples said to Jesus, how will we know we're at the end? And they, they actually even rewrote the Bible. Uh, so I'm hesitant to even read this, but I, I'm just going to tell you which verses it is. It says, take... Heed that no man leave you, lead you astray, astray, for many will come in my name, saying that I am a Christ, <laughs> and shall lead many astray. Uh, see, they they already, they, you'll hear of wars, nation will rise against nation, but they twist all the the uh, the verses, and then, and then they go on to explain why they did that. And I'm just going to read you this part. 
Two things become, become evident to all in the above passages. Now that their false rendering is corrected in the revision text, the coming of Christ means the presence of Christos in a regenerated world and not at all the actual coming in body of Christ Jesus. This Christ is to be sought neither in the wilderness nor in the inner chambers, nor in the sanctuary of any temple or church built by man. For Christ, the true esoteric Savior, is no man but the divine principle in every human being who strives to resurrect the spirit crucified in him by his own terrestrial passions and buried deep inside the sepulcher of his sinful flesh, he who has strength to roll back the stone of a matter from the door of his own inner sanctuary, he has the risen Christ in him. The Son of Man is no child of the bondwoman flesh, but verily of the free woman spirit, the child of man's own deeds and the fruit of his own spiritual labor. Just blasphemous folks, this is, and this is what they believe. And this is creeping into the churches, folks. They just change it around a little bit. They throw some Christianese on it. And because most people who go to church don't study their Bible, they're getting away with it. The theme behind this series, Mass Deception, really is be the Berean. You're going to see a couple places where I have been misled. Um, and you're going to see in several places how people you trust, yes, I'm talking to every one of you, have misled you. This is hard to do, folks. Um, and going through researching, I, I, I spent literally two days going through stuff on uh, Helena and what to bring you. Uh, and I just, I came up with this uh, because I, I think it's, it gives a roadmap. And uh, so they say they have the divine wisdom. So her beginnings, she was born into an aristocrat family, a very wealthy family in Russia uh, she was baptized into the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, really important part of the story is her great-grandfather from the 1770s. So this is the early 1800s. I think she was born in 1836 or something like that. But her great-grandfather uh, was initiated into the Freemasons, into the right of strict observers. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, take screenshots of these slides, folks. Uh, if you want to, I won't put them out there because then people can manipulate them and stuff like that. And I don't want that happening, but you can take screenshots and freely use these, um, you know, for your own uses. Um, her great grandfather claimed to have met Alessandro Cagliastro, who was an Italian occultist, very high up in the occult and get this, the count of Saint Germain. I did a show on Saint Germain probably a year, year and a half ago. Uh, that's a big rabbit hole. Uh, my personal opinion is it's actually uh, the devil himself uh, because he's just turned up throughout the centuries at various times and uh, in many, many forms. But Saint Germain, by the way, what is Saint Germain's trust? Those of you who are rooting for Nasara Jasara, well, there's actually a trust set up for it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, the end is near when that happens. <laughs> so Blavatsky uh, was obsessed from a young age with her grandfather's personal library of esoteric knowledge. And now she was homeschooled. Her family was very well-to-do. They could have sent her to the finest schools, but um, aristocratic family, probably bloodlines, folks, I don't know for sure. Uh, sure sounds like it to me because um, they ruled and uh, 
and obviously the company that uh, her grandfather was with the uh, uh, Alessandro and Caglistio, these are like these people had castles. Let's just say that, you know, and at, a, at this very young age, she begins to see visions of a mysterious Indian man who she will actually meet later on in life. You got to remember, this is the early 1800s. So her family takes her from Russia to London, and she establishes a friendship with Alexander Vladimirovich uh, Gulitsyan, a Russian Freemason who further encourages her in the esoteric. Uh, these people again, live in castles, this family that she met, the, the, you know, very wealthy landlords. They owned a lot of London and stuff like that. And so she starts, you know, hanging out with this guy and she starts learning his magic or his uh, esoteric knowledge. And she gets more visions. And at this point, at a young age, she begins to astral travel. At 17 years of age, she agrees to marry uh, this man named Nikifor Vladimirovich Blavatsky, where her name comes from. He's in her his 40s, and uh, she marries him because of his interest in magic. Now, uh, throughout her years, uh, it's important to say this because she gets married again, um, Blavatsky claims that she never consummated her marriages and that she was a virgin. In fact, she despised the idea of sex. So those are her words and uh, quite well documented. So, um, you know, he's 40, she's 17. Maybe it's not as creepy because of that uh, thing, but she leaves the marriage quickly um, and she begins traveling the world we suspect being financed by her parents, of course, because they had a ton of money. Now, you got to, this is by this time, we're talking, you know, 1850s. She goes to Asia. She goes to Canada, all through the USA, like, like from state to state to state, to, into Mexico, into the West Indies, to Bombay back to Europe and then back to the USA to India and eventually Tibet. And by the way, this is just some of her travels. She did basically the whole circuit again and more later on in life. How difficult was it to travel in the 1850s? And by the way, if uh, Helena Blavatsky was a large woman, she was definitely, you know, uh, very overweight. Um, I guess that doesn't really, it just, it just seems that traveling is even harder. Uh, it takes a lot of energy to travel even these days with our modern conveniences, but she went around the world a couple times, <clears throat> which I find extremely interesting. Uh, but what happens in all of these different places, uh, is the reason why I put in all these travels. So first of all, in Tibet, uh, she meets Moya. Uh, this is the mystical Indian man that she had visions of as a child. She stays in his home and meets Master Kut Humi. Moira and Kut Humi helped her develop her control and control her psychic powers. Among the abilities that she ascribed to these masters were clairvoyance, uh, clairaudience, telep telepathy, and the ability to control another's consciousness to dematerialize and rematerialize physical objects. Wow. Obviously, elements of alchemy uh, in that to me, I just put in that note and to project their astral bodies, thus the appearance of being in two places at once. I'm stunned by dematerialize and rematerialize physical objects. Wow, I, 
I guess Star Trek wasn't far off with their beam me up Scotty stuff. So more travel, more study. She spends a lot of time in Europe and France and Germany, uh, in London and stuff like that. And obviously in Greece, and she starts to study the Greek gods. Um, then she goes to uh, Cairo, Egypt. She spent a couple years there and studies their a- ancient wisdom. And she combines all of these things that she's learned with the esoteric knowledge, and she calls it spiritualism. And she uh, formed a thing called the Spiritism Society. Uh, But spiritualists and the spiritualist movement that was happening at the time in the world, uh, they did not believe in reincarnation. And she brought that in uh, as part of her doctrine. Um, so after this, she goes to Bucharest and then Paris and then back to New York city in the mid 1800s folks. It's in New York city. She meets her next husband, Henry Steele Olicott, and he was a kind of a reporter and he was researching a person who claimed to have the power of levitation. And so she reached out to Henry Steele Alcott to find out about this person that he's doing a story on uh, about, because she wants to learn how to levitate. Why not? <laughs> you know? Um, anyways, they get together. They end up getting an apartment together. They eventually uh, become husband and wife. But they published a letter together named The Spiritual Scientist. Then they name themselves... The Brotherhood Brotherhood of Luxor. Uh, so we all know that the the occult calls themselves the Brotherhood. Uh, the you know the the elites that are kind of running this stuff. They, they do all the crazy child stuff, and they call themselves the Brotherhood. So she calls herself and her husband the Brotherhood of Luxor. And Luxor, of course, uh, is known as a pyramid and stuff like that but it really means a fortified camp. So they're in the brotherhood of a fortified camp. Words have meanings, and they chose them for reasons. They established the Miracle Club and gave lectures and demonstrations. By the way, some of their demonstrations, because they were challenged, um, that uh, that some of the stuff they were saying was not true. And later on in life, they admitted that they actually faked some of their demonstrations. So perhaps they're not all that powerful. Um, Next, they formed the Theosophical Society. And... Theosophical essentially comes from theos, which is God, and uh, sophical is um, knowledge, God or divine knowledge, hence the tagline for the Theosophical Society. Uh, One of the first things that they do after forming this is Blavatsky published a paper called Isis Unveiled. Yeah, she really likes these small G gods, doesn't she? And part of that paper is that all religions she's claiming at this point stemmed from ancient wisdom. You're going to hear more about that coming up. Uh, in 1879, they established a monthly magazine called The Theosophist, and it becomes very popular. Um, they actually moved back to London Uh, because she was having some health challenges and they wanted a bit more moderate climate than they had in the uh, United States and stuff like that. So that's where the monthly magazine, the the office, it becomes very popular. And, you know, London, listen, there's the Vatican, there's the London, and there's D.C. There's your your triangle, folks. So in 1888... Blavatsky established the esoteric section 
of the Theosophical Society. I want you to listen to this part. A group under her complete control for which admittance was restricted to those who had passed certain tests. I know there's a couple of people that probably just fell off their chair there. <laughs> yeah. Blavatsky founded a magazine, controversial, titling it as Lucifer. So we know about Lucifer publishing that comes out later by Alice Bailey, but Blavatsky, who was Alice Bailey's mentor, did it first. Founded a magazine. This is in the 18, in 88, 1888. By the way, that's interesting numbers there, 1888. And she titles it Lucifer. Now, now weren't the like witch trials happening back then? Like, I don't know. The good old days, I suppose. Blavatsky also finished writing The Secret Doctrine. The Secret Doctrine, which I'm going to get into here in a second, uh, was basically four books. Um, and it really has become one of those uh, series of books that's a must-have for anyone into esoteric knowledge, anyone in secret societies, um, anyone interested in magic and stuff like that. They uh, This is almost one of their Bibles, you might say, uh, The Secret Doctrine. And uh, she establishes the Theosophical Publishing Company who brought out the work in two volumes. So here's a picture of uh, Madame Blavatsky uh, on the cover of one of her books. Uh, there's quite a few, quite a number of pictures of her. Um, and then you see the, uh, the reprinted series there. I put these up for a reason. And uh, so just think about the secret, and then it has the word doctrine. Well, what is doctrine? And what is the secret? And just I'm going to bring you into modern times real quick. Now, for those of you listening on Podbean, um, you can't see, but it, it's the, uh, <laughs> you'll just have to Google it. And uh, as a side note, Remember the movie, the book, The Secret, still one of the today's top bestsellers? Want to know where the information comes from? I'm just going to go back. The Secret Doctrine. It has a cult all over it. Stay away from that stuff. Um, the thing is with The Secret and, and Law of Attraction and stuff like that, Law of Attraction is real, folks. It's real, but, you know, people are just claiming it to the universe or whatever. The problem is there's spirits in the universe. And which spirit are you going to? Are you going to God or are you going to someone else? Yeah. Yeah. But, the, but there's truth in all this stuff. And that's what's... And Christians, you know, we need to stay away from stuff like that. But at the same time... Um, there's some truths in it that we should really know. And, you know, one of the things I keep saying, if you knew how powerful your thoughts were, you'd never have a bad thought again. So, all right. So the secret doctrine, and uh, I actually pulled up some stuff from her book, and then I found an author who uh, does commentary on it. And I felt the commentary was much easier to uh, read and understand. Uh, and it was very close to what uh, Blavatsky actually wrote. So I'm choosing to do the commentary part. But uh, so the secret doctrine, the first thing she does is they she basically removes God from uh, creation. Of course. They have to rewrite the whole thing. And if you want to know how, if a religion is false, look at the complexity of it, folks. These people have to come up with answers for everything. And it doesn't make sense where God just 
is the answer. In the beginning was God. <laughs> and with him was his word. You know, let there be light. So her cosmogony, she calls it, uh, there's essentially six propositions that uh, she put together. Uh, the first proposition is that there is one underlying unconditioned indivisible truth. Now, I I'm just going to stop there. Folks, understand that I'm telling you this stuff is garbage, okay? This stuff is garbage. I'm not reading this to teach you a new philosophy. I'm reading it so you know where the deception in the modern day world is coming from, okay? I have to be very clear on that. Do not absorb this into your being as truth at all. There is no truth in this, although it just says uh, this. So uh, there is one underlying unconditioned indivisible truth variously called the absolute, the unknown root, the one reality, etc. It is causeless and timeless and therefore unknowable and non-describable. It is the beingness rather than being. Uh, by the way, you want to know where Scientology comes from? <laughs> this is this is basically Hubbard's roadmap to Scientology. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's all this stuff comes from here, from the secret doctrines. So I want you to know what is in it. So beingness rather than being. However transient states of matter and the consciousness are manifested in it, in an unfolding gradation from the subtlest to the densest, the final of which is physical plane, according to this view, manifest existence is a change of condition and therefore neither the result of creation nor a random event. This is the roots of Scientology, folks. Um, everything in the universe is informed by the potentialities present in the unknown root and the manifest with different degrees of life or energy, consciousness or matter. The second proposition is the absolute universe. Of, oh, did I... Uh, Sorry, I might have, yeah, no, I got to read that. Uh, the absolute universality of the law of periodicity, of flux and reflux, ebb and flow. You hear about that a lot? Flow, the ebb and flow. According to manifest existence is an eternally reoccurring event on a boundless plane, the playground of numberless universes incessantly manifesting and disappearing, <coughs> each one standing in the relation of an effect as regards its predecessor and being a cause as regards to its successor, doing so over vast but infinite periods of time. This is going to make sense in a couple minutes here, folks. Related to the above is the third proposition. So these are the major propositions in the secret doctrine, essentially, uh, which is about 1,400 pages if you want to read it. Uh, the fundamental identity of all souls with the universal oversoul and the obligatory pilgrimage for every soul, a spark of the former through the cycle of incarnation or necessity in accordance with the cyclic and karmic law. During the whole term, the individual souls are seen as units of consciousness, monads, and that are intrinsic parts of a universal oversoul, just as different sparks are the parts of a fire. These monads undergo a process of evolution where consciousness unfolds and matter develops. The evolution is not random, 
but informed by intelligence and with a purpose. Evolution follows distinct paths in accordance to certain immutable laws, aspects of perceivable and physical level. One such law is the law of periodicity and cyclicity, and the other law of karma or cause and effect. Um, boy, this... Uh, I have additional information to add to this that I just thought of now. Um, I don't have it prepared, but essentially uh, this is fallen angels stuff here. Uh, this is hidden knowledge. So she collects the hidden knowledge from all around the world, all these different faiths. And you don't understand why she's going to all these different faiths and why it's important for you to know now. Um, so the volume two, um, it's anthropogenesis. The second half of the book describes the origins of humanity through an account of root races. Okay. This is going to be important for you to know. Said to date back millions of years, the first root race was, according to her, ethereal. The second root had a more physical body and lived in Hyperborea. The third root race, the first to truly be human, is said to have existed on the lost continent of Lemuria. And the fourth root race is said to have developed in Atlantis. Um, folks, one of the good things about the, uh, the series I did for a while with the military analyst is he gave the other side's point of view um people who believe in ascended masters and stuff like that which is one of his beliefs and you know i love the man i'm not coming against him at all he's incredibly intelligent incredibly well researched but it this is the stuff and part of the reason i was doing it was so i could understand more about uh what these people believe So she continues on, mankind is obviously divided into God-informed men and lower human creatures. So this is important, folks. This, you gotta, and lower human creatures. The intellectual difference between the Aryan and other civilized nations and such savages as the South Sea Islanders is inexplicable. On any other grounds, no amount of culture nor generations of training amid civilization could raise such human specimens as the Bushmen, the Vedas of Simeon, and some African tribes to the same intellectual level as the Aryans. The Semites and the Turanians, so-called the sacred spark, is missing in them, and it is they who are the only inferior races on the globe now happily owing to the wise adjustment of nature which is ever works in that direction fast dying out verily mankind is of one blood but not of the same essence we are the hothouse of artificially quickened plants in nature having in us a spark which in them is latent Oh, wonder where Hitler got his doctrine. Do you see why this lady is important to know? Um, I'm going to put these three links in digs. They'll be there um, at the time of the, the posting of this show. It's just stuff that I didn't really want to really read on air. Uh, when I read the esoteric, the, uh, in the beginning of the show, it was the very top link, uh, the esoteric character of the Gospels. Um, this is all bad stuff, folks, but if you want to read it, I'm going to put some put it there. Um, also, I want to say to you that uh, Wikipedia actually does a really good job on Blavatsky. Of course, they'll get, you know, real 
important figures who, uh, biblical, uh, you know, people who believed in the Bible, they'll get wrong and they'll slam them. But, you know, the uh, woman that uh, formed, you know, the new age, so they say, that's okay. So conclusions for this uh, Blavatsky, there's so much more I could have put in, folks, but this is the main stuff to understand where almost all of this stuff comes from. And it's the combining of all the religions. And this is the modern day root of an ancient deception now being called by some new age. It's not new age. It's ancient. Being built upon these teachings is the unification of all world religions. So she traveled the world, she took all the pieces and she started putting them together. And this is how eventually the world is going to fall into one world religion and one world political system. Mark my word, well, it's the Bible's words, not, not mine. Many areas of modern day Christianity are now practicing some of these occult teachings. I'm going to prove it to you as we go forward in the series, folks, but you have to understand it's a cult. You have to know what comes back to here. This woman was not a good Christian woman. She denounced the church. She hated Christians. She loved every other religion. She hated Christianity. And so does her whole theosophical society and movement. A massive amount of modern-day Christians are actually working toward a one-world antichrist church. I'm going to say that again. A lot of churches, a lot of people that you trust and follow on social media even, are actually working towards bringing the one-world antichrist church up. And most of them don't even know it. There's a few people at the top that I guarantee you know it, and that's why I'm going to bring out their names. Other ones could just be under their spell, under their deception. It can happen. We've all been under deception. Some of us still are. In fact, I, I know some of my audience is still under some pretty massive deceptions. And it's not that I want to always be right, because I'm not always right. It's just that, you know, I've gone through kind of a, a crash course on this stuff. And I have the time because, you know, thankfully, some of you support me that uh, I'm able to look at this stuff full time. Um, it's hard to look at this stuff full time. Man, it rips me apart it's terrible so the problem is the deception or this magic trick as i call it is working and uh remember that beatles song all you need is love and then they had that other one love 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 is all you need well, that's going to be part of the deception, folks. A big part of the deception. We're just to love each other and accept each other. Sounds good. God is love. Probably the best descriptive word that we have. So what does he, the devil do? Well, he inverts it. And before we go, um, I want to show you the symbol for the Theosophical Society. And... Uh, it's on the cover art as well, uh, for those of you on Podbean who are listening. On the right-hand side, if you're looking at the video, and I'm just going to describe it to you, um, there's a snake forming a circle. Look familiar? Doesn't the United Nations and stuff like that do that? Huh. All the medical societies, pharmacia companies, they all just love snakes, apparently. And around that, it says, there is no religion higher than truth. Well, I actually agree with that statement. 
just I have a different truth than they do. So at the where the snake head and the tail meet, there is a swastika in a circle. And, you know, the swastika is actually an old religious symbol. Um, it actually means many blessings. Who knew? Uh, there's many different translations because it goes back thousands of years. Uh, and it's not only it, it's in India, it's in, you know, uh, Europe, places like that, but it always had a positive connotation to it. And uh, the occult steals everything, don't don't they? And, uh, and above that is that three with the crown on top of it. And uh, if you notice on the mass deception, uh, the, the thing symbols I put on there, that's the highest symbol, the highest chakra. Once you, once you get past the third eye, which is the pineal gland, then you achieve godhood. And so these people think that they are gods. And they say that uh, Jesus wasn't God when he was born. He was just a man and he didn't become a God. Um, the Christians are saying this, folks. I'm jumping ahead. But many mainstream Christian preachers and congregations believe that Jesus only became God when he was baptized. And if you believe that, I'm going to ask you to begin to be the Berean and uh, and read your scriptures because uh, God was God and was always God. <laughs> he did become, in, he did fill up a flesh suit. He did become a man. That is true. But he was always God. And of course, in the middle of the snake circle with the swastika and the uh, three on top of the crown are two triangles to form the six-pointed pentagram uh, as above, so below. By the way, that comes from Alice Bailey as well. Can't make this stuff up, folks. Um and inside of that is like the uh, the cross, but with instead of the top of the cross being a board, it's a circle, the divine feminine uh, sort of symbol. And you're going to see this stuff pop up absolutely everywhere, folks. It's um, it's scary, and. You're going to learn, and I know this series is going to take time. It's probably going to be 6, 10, 12, maybe 15. I'm going to get to the real good stuff, the modern day stuff, probably by episode 5 or 6. Probably by 5, I would think. Um, and then we're going to start dissecting. We're going to spend a lot of time on the modern day stuff because, let's face it, it's right now. But you need to have the historical... Uh, information behind it so you know where this is coming from so you're not just taking Jeff's word for it uh, you can research all of this stuff yourself and as I say it goes from her to Alice Bailey to the Nazis to the church and we're going to talk about some of the great movements in the church and uh, and I'm going to lose friends over this uh, I pray against that. I really do pray against it. I'm really just trying to I'm trying to steward this audience. I'm going to be accountable before God. I can't tell them that I knew and I did nothing. So I prayed to God, what's the best way to present this? And if, if I said this before, but I was going to come out and just do an expose. But I thought, no, it has to be more of a teaching so you can really understand. And so you will have much better discernment. And, of course, I, I, I would be failed at this if I didn't say the very best way 
to get real discernment. The only true way to get discernment, this is supplemental information, folks. It's to know your Bible. You won't know a counterfeit unless you know the real thing. Um, I'm doing my best to know the Bible greater and greater. I study every day, and I encourage you to as well. Um, if you haven't, uh, please do go to mylibertystand.com. Uh, it's making a difference, and you know where your heart is by your wallet. And uh, as I say, you're already spending the money. Spend it with better people. Uh, go to mylibertystand.com or send an email to writeonjeff at gmail.com. There was something else I wanted to... Uh, oh, yeah, please, the Singapore Saturday night. Uh, please be there. Praying is one of the most important things. And I know I said this before, but if uh, when you stand before the Lord, you're probably going to wish you prayed more. I know I'm going to, um, but it really is a good time, and you'll you'll walk away from it refreshed and full of joy. Um, that's just what happens when you have the presence of the Holy Spirit upon you, and we really do. Um, you know, but, and by the way, before you come in to the prayer, uh, just something I always do, I suggest it's probably a good practice, I repent of my sin. Um, every day more than once <laughs> it's a lot of days uh but i'll repent of my sin right before uh doing that prayer and that way i just come in clean and i i put my hands up in the air and i ask god to to come into me sometimes more powerfully than others but that's uh that's our god <laughs> i'll just take any bit of them that i can get and uh he's willing to give a lot not just to me, but he loves you deeply. That's it for today, folks. We'll continue this next week. Uh, I might even do two uh, of these episodes tomorrow or next week to move this along. So God bless each and every one of you. And remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor as yourself, and make a difference in your community.